All right, welcome everyone to episode 40 of the DC Comics News Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Blickey. With me today is Kelly Gaines. Say hi, Kelly. Hello. Seth Singleton. Say hi, Seth. Hi-dee-ho. And Steve J. Ray. Say hi, Steve. Hi, Steve. (laughs) All right. On this podcast, we talk about everything DC, uh, streaming and TV news, movie news, and of course, while we're all here, comics news. So jump right on into it. Uh, But before we get into the actual news stories, I wanted to ask our uh, British friend Steve here about that news that we talked about a few weeks ago, that there was a British Comic Con that was canceled, and uh, supposedly the reason was because of Brexit. So I was just curious to hear Steve's input. But uh, since he does uh, live in England. So, Steve, uh, tell us a little bit about your take on this story. It's always hugely disappointing as a fan when one of the major cons is cancelled. And the bad news about the uh, London Film Comic Con is it's been going for years. And it's the second major convention that's been cancelled in the UK this year. First of all, after the split between Stephen Amell and Heroes and Villains Fan Fest with them rebranding as just Fan Fest. Uh, that show was cancelled in May, and it's you know it's it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, I, I do think there will be some implications, particularly with uh, some of the European shows we get over here getting the talent, and and that would be attributed to Brexit. But in honesty, having attended the last film of Comic Con, London film of Comic Con in um, in the spring, and seeing the organisational or to be honest, lack thereof behind it. I think that show may have been in trouble long before this announcement of the cancellation of the November, um, the fall con. So, yeah, it hurts. But um, I did see the writing on the wall for but for two big, big shows that fans really make efforts for, pay good money for, to be shot down within, you know, a couple of months. I mean, Heroes and Villains was literally, it was two or three weeks before the actual event, before they finally said, listen, you know, it's not happening. We're going to move it to February. We're going to try and get refunds. Or if you want tickets to the next show, we'll do that. So, yep, sad news. But, um, hey, there's always MCM. Um, fingers crossed Walker Stalker and FanFest to make a go of it. And the new year will bring some great, great things back to the UK. So uh, thanks for thinking of me, guys. I wish I could have been on that show to talk about it when it was a bit more topical. But for to UK fans out there, Stick together, stay online, keep chatting, keep fighting the good fight, and there'll be plenty more shows to come. So that's my take on that one. Thanks for asking, guys. I really appreciate that. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Okay, so let's just go ahead and jump into some news here. First up, here that Adam West is going to be celebrated in his hometown of Walla Walla on uh, Batman uh, Day, which should be fun. Kelly, what's your take on this? That is the most wholesome thing I've ever heard of. That it's it's <laughs> so nice that they're doing that, you know, in honor of Adam West, and it recognizes everything that he meant to not just the comic book community, but also just the larger entertainment TV fan community. He's always been such a positive presence and you know he he was truly missed when he passed away so i think that's absolutely just wonderful and i don't think i'll ever do anything important enough that my hometown would have a kelly day but if it happened i would be so happy that and it's in wine country which to me is like this sounds like the perfect getaway weekend and it'd be cool actually to see a smaller comic book event happening you know outside of something like san diego or new york comic con or you know, like the cons that have been canceled in the UK to see it's just a small town doing something really focused on comics culture. So I, um, it sounds fantastic. What do you think, Seth? 
I think this sounds like just one of the best one of the best ways that a town can recognize the heroes that grow up there and that are identified with it. And Kelly, your work isn't done. I have complete and utter faith that before I leave this mortal coil, I will have been part of a petition to have you and everyone on this podcast recognize as heroes of their hometowns. Let's go ahead and just get the air clear on that. All right. Um, <laughs> and that goes for, you know, equally everyone on this. I have that much faith. I think that the thing you pointed out that was so important to me was that this was about the kind of person Adam West was. He was Batman. And as the quote says from the uh, front office manager for one of the organizers of this event, co-organizers, you know, they call him their bright knight. So often Batman is the dark knight. But with Adam West, it was the bright knight. It was the one who was embracing you with that sense of, let me show you just a little bit more. And it's still going to have that same great, honest feeling that you get from him when he's smiling and engaging or when he's performing. The list of events just sounds amazing that they're going to have the Bat Cycle, the Batmobile, the Batcopter, all the different events. The Adam West Blues is a song now that I'm going to have to play after this is over just so I can like say that I did. Um, and every other event, including the uh, official Bat Signal on the Marcus Whitman Hotel. This sounds like a town that really admires and embraces all the great things he did, not only on screen, but as a, a great personality. I really love this kind of story. I would love to hear from perhaps the biggest Batman fan I've had the chance to speak to. Um, there could be an argument for one or two others who might want to compete with that. Damien, if you're listening. Steve, I'm curious to hear what you had to you know, say about this event and about this story. It's just great, isn't it? I mean, the, just the fact, really, that Adam West comes from a town called Walla Walla is just <laughs> amazing. Walla Walla, Washington. Well, holy Walla Walla, Batman, you've earned that. You deserve it. The festivities sound amazing. I wish, I wish I could be there. One day, I'd love to go to the Adam West Celebration Day in Walla Walla because if anyone's a hero, it's not just Batman. It's the one that brought him to life so vividly, so colourfully on screen. And, you know, it just makes me happy that this town loved him as much as he loved it. And like Kelly said, we all hope that one day we'll be remembered by anybody, but for a town to remember this man and his work so long afterwards. But I think to expand on what, what you said, Seth, Kelly, you know, you will go down in history as the inventor of the purse book. Seth, the spinner rack will be reintroduced to every store nationwide because of you. I am the man who will break the floor, dancing around in joy. No floor is safe. And Brad, Brad is purveyor of fashion to the stars. He will give you all a nice pair of jeans. So we will live on forever. And so comfortably think, danced. Exactly. Comfortably and impeccably dressed, sir. I, I, you know, Seth, I really like that you brought up the whole bright night uh, idea because I think that Adam West was one of those celebrities that people who met him seemed to love him. He had a very good reputation, or, you know, it, it, so it is really nice to see him getting that due. And he did seem to love playing Batman, and it just seems like a, a very fitting tribute to, to him. And I wish I could, uh, I wish I could be there. I think that does sound like a lot of fun. Up next on the news is that the Batman. 
Telltale Tale game may make a comeback, and that's something that's very exciting for me. I love those games. Uh, Kelly, what do you think? Actually, I've never had the chance to play those games, but I like that they're coming back potentially, and I, I do like also that it seems like the company, even though they initially got knocked down, are trying to build themselves back up again as a smaller company, but still be there for their fans and do the projects that their fans have, have missed and have been looking forward to. So I... I think it sounds like a great thing hopefully everyone who enjoyed playing those games is going to get the chance to see further content from them so that's what do you think yeah i'm intrigued by this story simply because it's about someone getting knocked down and having to come back and maybe come back a little bit smaller that seems to be uh, a pattern that exists for some companies it's simply uh, part of the process of you know having great success, which if I remember correctly, maybe someone can support me on this. I believe they had a Walking Dead title and maybe one or two others aside from the, yeah, yeah, the Stranger Things that they mentioned in here. And, um, okay. So I feel like they had been involved in a lot of projects, but at some point their expansion, I believe, was one of the the uh, warning signs for their eventual downfall. And learning from that mistake means that they can start small and hopefully have a a better sense of what's going on with their approach and that they're starting out with a very solid title like Batman hopefully can lead to success that can help them get back on their feet. I was actually most intrigued by the idea that it could be possible some of the laid off staff will be back on. A little disappointing that it's going to be freelance basis, but I like the idea that there's the potential for them to eventually get their full-time jobs back because this was something of a blow to the gaming industry when Telltale had to shut down. And it was sort of a, a reminder that despite what could be outside appearances of success, um, sometimes these companies can just like fall. It was really sudden, so I'm intrigued to see you know, what this return is going to be like. Steve, I know you've got maybe one member of the household who you've mentioned has played some games. I don't play this game, but maybe you have some feedback from their perspective or other gamers they communicate. What did you think about this story? It's funny you should say that because this is one game that I actually really could have got into because it was a lot more cerebral, um, puzzle solving, more of a like a soap opera rather than the all-out action i mean there was plenty of, of that too but it was more like um like D meets batman where you actually become the character and live his life and make choices and that the the wealth of, of choices you could make in this game was absolutely brilliant so when telltale folded i was devastated i thought what the games they're making just rock this is unreal how's it happened and really between the lines obviously with some speculation and looking at other similar stories is i think that this company weren't ready for the success they achieved so quickly because they went from being a small independent to making a brilliant first game which then grew and then they got the licenses for like i said walking dead batman uh shame not all the games came to fruition but then it just came too fast too quick and for whatever reasons that, that the company folded but i love that whole heroic aspect of it. i mean these guys are batman in and of themselves that the fact they've been knocked down they've been taken out but they're coming back they're, they're bringing the fight back and i think that they can learn from the mistakes they made before whether it wasn't investing quickly enough in what they made back or i don't know but the fact they're coming back fighting they're going to be new games and if there's another batman title involved bring it on that's just great news and good luck to telltale i think they deserve it and if they've got to start 
on a freelance basis well it's a first step it's not the end of the game so brilliant um good luck to them brad what do you think about it yeah i think out of everybody on this podcast i'm the i play the most games and i've played a lot of telltale games and love them all because when i play video games i love story and that's what these games focus on specifically and i love that uh and i was you know i was shocked too when when they went out of business and you know i think seth you're right it just got too big too fast and they they just couldn't handle it and maybe that's good that they're kind of pulling back and keeping freelance for a while so that they can kind of keep a hold of that level of success as they kind of build back up again and i love that they still have control of dc properties because not only do they make batman games but they made a wolf among us game too and there had been uh talks of a sequel so maybe we'll get to see that too and just personally i i would love it if they could get that stranger things property back but i'm just i'm really happy that telltale is is back and i think a lot of fans are so i can't wait to see what they do next and I just hope they avoid some of the mistakes that they had made uh, in the past. And with that, we're going to move on to movie news and something that has been breaking the uh, internet uh, lately. We Not only did we get a final trailer for the Joker movie, but we also started to get the first reviews and reactions to, to the movie from people who have finally seen it. I think it got its debut in the Venice Film Festival, so now word's finally getting out on just how, how it is. So, Kelly, what do you think? I am so excited, like ranting to a cat excited. Um, the trailer looks absolutely fantastic, and part of the reason I'm so hyped up about it is that this is the perfect example of the both the creative and the narrative potential that superhero comics have, and not just comics, but superhero stories. Because I know I've, I've seen a lot of stories recently of different actors and TV personalities kind of disparaging superhero stories as a whole and saying that they don't get why adults are into it, um, you know, essentially insinuating that comic book fans are a bunch of babies, which makes me furious, but this movie looks like it'll be the perfect example of showing how comic book stories and stories that come from you know this isn't about batman but it's from the world of batman it's about how a villain gets made how a person goes crazy how those psychological effects can actually look very similar to the real world in a lot of ways and one of the things that that first opening scene where he's making faces at the kid on on the train and the mom yells at him actually it it made me think how often do we snap at a stranger when we're having a bad day or kind of lose our temper with a coworker or something like that. And we don't actually know each other. We have no idea not only what someone's personal life is like, but what they're capable of as a person. So even if we contribute, if we're one little drop in the bucket, we could be a problem in someone else's, in someone else's world and their narrative. And it looks like the Joker is going to pull that off flawlessly. So I'm 1000% excited. Seth, what do you think? I think you pointed to one of the examples that really set the tone for that trailer, which is that moment where he's entertaining the boy and the mom turns around instead of being thankful or pleased that there's a pleasant interaction instead says, please stop bothering my son. And that that experience that a stranger can give to another, you really touched on something important. We don't know each other. We don't know what each other is going through. And just as well, we don't know what our influence is every time we interact with someone, just how positive or negative, just how uplifting or damaging the potential is. 
And yet this is an example of someone who is treated very poorly. And because of their state and the continued degradation of their state, we see what the compounded impact of that is. What I really also took away was the idea that, and I thought it was so well expressed with the moment where he's speaking with what appears to be a counselor, social worker, and he says, you're not listening. I keep telling you, and you're not listening. And the message that I felt that was really coming across was this idea of there's plenty of people out there. There are plenty of voices who aren't being heard. And we don't know how far away they are from their worst day. And I, I really feel that what you also touched upon with the idea of this being a new way of presenting superhero stories gives us an opportunity to also suggest what kind of stories can be told and who we can give a voice to with a story like this. Steve, I'm, of course, curious about your thoughts as well. What was your take on the trailer of The Joker that recently came out? You're, you're both so right. This is an example of when fiction can actually do so much good. In my experience, the greatest fiction, the things that we watch that may be fantasy, maybe sci-fi, maybe horror, whatever, but the best examples are the ones that actually just shine a mirror over society and show us, listen, this is a story, but this stuff is happening. This stuff is real. These are real human beings and people out there are suffering. And a comment that we make might seem like a two second throwaway line from us, but that can have a long term and potentially devastating effect on the people around us. And like you said, the scene on the bus and and the scene with him, with his counsellor and the whole descent and, and that laugh and all the positive stuff that's coming out from Venice. I mean, I've yet to see a negative comment and the, all the news that we're getting back is just, like you said, Kelly, exciting beyond belief. Maybe now people will say, listen, yeah, DC are dark, rah, 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 whatever else. We want a bit more fun in our movies, but there's more to life than fun. And I'm sure there'll be tons of laughs with a film called Joker, but there'll be laughs that stop us in our tracks, possibly nervous laughs, laughs of fear, but things that will open our eyes to what a comic book movie can be. Not just comic, comedy, fantasy, laughs, fun and popcorn, but that mirrors society. Brad, what do you make of all this, my friend? Yeah, I... I try to go into movies with realistic expectations, and I find that when I do that, I enjoy the films better. But I got to say, what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing from this trailer and the reactions, my expectations are just through the roof. Everything that I've seen and read seems like it's going to meet my expectations. Uh, and, you know, it's getting a lot of comparisons to Taxi Driver, and it definitely has that feel from the trailer. And despite it feeling like you know, something from the late 70s. It, I think that it's going to be a very, you know, I think that we've all been saying it, like a very timely film. Uh, I think we live in an age where even though the internet and social media and what have you connects us so much, we all feel so alienated. We're all kind of finding our tribes and, you know, and the sense of community is kind of dwindling and that has having a profound effect on the individual and i think that this movie is going to definitely be a character study and exactly what that can lead to i read one headline where it said that 
comic book movies will never be the same. And I, I think this is this is going to be something we haven't seen before in what it tries to say and how it goes about saying it. So I'm just yeah, I, I could not be more excited for uh, for the Joker. And I think you know I think that we can all agree that we're all super super excited. And moving on, yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, moving on to our next story, and, and forgive me ahead of time if I uh, mess up the pronunciation of his name, uh, but Andy Muschietti confirms that his next project will indeed be The Flash. Kelly, what did you think about this? I'm very happy that The Flash movie is getting made, and, and happy for Ezra Miller, um, assuming that he remains attached to it because this is something that he pushed for so hard. Although my concerns now are, you know, like we just said, the the Joker movie is going to have so much positive backing behind it. Um, and I do know that there was an idea floating around earlier for the Flash movie to have a darker tone, which doesn't, I, I think, you know, we've discussed it before on this show and to a lot of fans, we don't necessarily think that Flash should be a, a darker, scarier show or movie. And I know that the, um, the director said it won't have any sort of horror elements that carry over from, you know, his work on it. But I have, I do have my concerns about maybe in the wake of the Joker, this kind of getting pushed more towards into the, the dark waters, if you will, because that idea was floating around earlier. And I think that's an issue I picked up at the very least in the Man of Steel movie that they tried to make a Superman movie using kind of the darkness and the personal struggle and just the, the the overall downtroddenness of a Batman universe. And it seemed like that was coming directly in the wake of how successful The Dark Knight was. So I'm excited, yes, but also a little bit concerned. I, I hope that this is a movie made just for the sake of being a Flash movie. The same way The Joker is, it's a Joker movie. It's not pulling any punches that way. Excited, but nervous. How about you, Seth? Well, I do believe that you've really focused on the one thing that actually gives me a lot of hope for this Flash movie is the fact that it does have the opportunity to identify itself as a standalone film, not compared to anything else. And while I love the fact that we get to see the really potential that can be shown through a dark movie like The Joker... I think as much as the fun was shown in a film like Shazam and it was successful because it embraced all of those best qualities, The Flash has the opportunity to do so. And I'm going to point to the one line in this article that spoke to me the most, which was the response to the question of whether or not there would be horror elements. And I would think that there could be these horror elements based on what happened now and is probably going to just continue with the success of the Joker reviews and response. But this is someone who's already made a monumental amount of success off of horror movies. And yet his response is an element of horror. I don't think so. What captivated me about the flash is the human drama and the human feelings and emotions that play in the drama. And also the fact that he later says, I can't promise that there will be any horror elements, but it is a beautiful human story. And if this director keeps that in mind and sets the tone of the flash, then what we can actually start to do, and this is just a fun idea that popped in right now, is we can have the Green Lantern effect within the DC cinematic universe. We can have a spectrum. We can have the darkest corners. We can have 
the most joyful, fun exuberance of a child. We can have all the hope of a family drama and a family story about a son seeking redemption for his father and the, the sort of balance that those relationships are capable of, of expressing and um, achieving. And if that's the focus, if that's the direction, then what can follow next is a series of films that embrace all of their best qualities and in doing so are shining examples of that that the DCU can use to continue to model themselves after because we've seen what happens when they embrace the best possibilities of success and it's been really quite lovely and I think the opportunity for The Flash is to be uh, just as lovely as what we're hearing about the Joker. Steve, what, what was your take on this and your thoughts? Beautifully said, my friend. Yeah, absolutely in total agreement with you. With the DC movies, there's so much potential in every single character. And not just to be one thing. Like I said, there's, a, there's that spectrum where if you look at Shazam, yes, it's bright, it's fun, it's, it's, it's colourful. But there are dark moments in there that the seven deadly sins uh, the the abandonment of his mother uh, and again it's it's real events um given the entertainment value of a comic book character and with aquaman i mean the whole scene with the trench at the end of the film um that was bordering on on a horror movie and with james one as the director that comes as no surprise because that's his forte and let's remember flash's origin yes he's a bright positive character but that positivity came out of a horrible thing happening to him early in his life witnessing the murder of his mother what i love about comic books is the way they turn tragedy into triumph just the way we were just speaking about telltale games that have turned their fortunes around and they're making a comeback i just think that if handled properly, a movie can be a roller coaster ride of scares, fun, thrills, entertainment. And Joker is one thing. As you quite rightly said, Flash is something completely different. And with a director as passionate as he is, saying, nah, I've done my horror bits. Let's leave the killer clowns out of it, whether in the forests or the woods or wherever else they might be hiding in strange corners of America. Thank you for putting that nightmare in my head, Kelly. I really appreciate it. Um, <laughs> There's so many more ways that, that this can go, and let's try and have some fun with it. Brilliant. Really excited. Brad, what do you think, my friend? Yeah, I, I said before that if he was the choice to direct a movie, that I hope he uses it as kind of like a palate cleanser and doesn't go a dark route. I did li like the It movie, and I'm really looking forward to It Chapter 2. So I do like his work, but I don't need a dark Flash movie. I'd, I'd rather have a brighter Flash movie, even though, like you had brought up, Steve, that there are some dark moments to his to his origin story. I, I personally, I want a a super bright Flash movie. Maybe it's because I like the TV show, and the TV TV show to me isn't all that dark. Um, you know, I yeah, I, I uh, I'm looking forward to the movie, uh, and and also like Kelly said, I'm just at the end of the day, I'm glad it's getting made and moving forward. And moving right along, uh, there is a little bit of speculation from the Black Adam movie that it will include Hawkman of all characters. Uh, Kelly, what do you think about this? I I honestly have not read much of Hawkman. I haven't seen a ton of him apart from his appearances in 
I believe it was Justice League Unlimited when I was a kid. But I actually like that for that reason. If this ends up being true and if he actually is in this movie, it's a great chance for DC to introduce some characters that haven't gotten a lot of screen time and aren't maybe as popular with fans or people who go strictly to the movies and don't read the comics. So I think any opportunity that they can take to draw more attention to more of their characters, because DC has such an incredible and vast character roster, is it's a good thing. And everyone is excited, as far as I can tell, for Black Adam, especially The Rock. But I've, I've said it before, but the fact that he's had signed on for a decade is incredible. So with enthusiasm like that, I think whatever characters they choose to bring in are hopefully going to pan out very well. Uh, Seth, what do you think? I love this story. I feel like it's something that was more of a rumor, maybe about seven or eight episodes ago. And I feel like this was a, a casting sort of announcement that we had talked about the idea of Hawkman and maybe, I want to say Adam, maybe not, I'm not sure who the other character was, but I do remember a discussion about this. And, and the thing that I love about the idea of including Hawkman is that one of the best things about Hawkman is that his is a story told over time because of his identity and the reincarnations. And if you haven't had a chance to pick up the more recent Hawkman comic book, uh, I, I know others who are listening. Yes. If, if you, yes. Okay. Thank you, Steve. You can go ahead and chime in after him, Brad, too. What they have done with that concept and the direction that's been taken, I'm totally going to draw a blank on who any of the writers and artists are, even though I love all of it. And when I hear the name, I'm going to kick myself for not remembering. It's been so masterful. I mean, there's a moment when you realize that somebody has gotten insight into a character. And what they're telling now is the idea of his reincarnations occurring across time and space. What I love about the idea of Hawkman is what you touched on is this can of worms that we can open here, Kelly. And this idea that if we do include other members of, say, the JSA and bring in that cast, but we also keep in mind the fact that this is someone who's from Thanagar and has an origin there, so we can at some point consider that as well as Ran. Um, and from there, we just begin just opening the can of worms further, and it's just a, well, it's a beautiful cacophony. <laughs> it's just a beautiful sort of like swarmy, like, go ahead, pick your fattest, juiciest worm, and let's go ahead and make a meal out of it because from that point on you have so many potential characters and so many great stories but i think with hawkman you'll have the chance to ground so much of this much like the empathy that i believe will be developed for black adam the understanding that can come from a hawkman character uh, a love crossing through time two characters seeking to reunite and also this newer concept that the comic book's been touching on this idea of redemption for a past sin that can never really be made up for. And yet, like any great hero, this is something that Carter Hall, Qatar Hall, whichever version of his name you know, you're referencing in the moment, is someone who believes that that's a noble endeavor to spend multiple lives trying to achieve. It's, it's really got a lot of potential, and I'm so excited that we can start to see this story begin to not only show up on screen, but open up all these other possibilities. Steve, Brad, I know you guys are going to just, you know, pile on behind me. Steve, get it started. Everything you just said and beautiful cacophony. That's one of the best phrases ever. I may have to steal that. Love it. Um, yeah. Hawkman. Let's talk about Hawkman. 
this guy has had so many retcons, rewrites, alternate histories, past, presents, futures, alien, human, Egyptian prince. If they go down the route of the Prince Khufu origin back in the day when Shazam got his powers. Listen, I've just had this floor reinforced after the hole I made in it a few weeks back. I'm making another bigger one. I'm going to end up in Australia, then on the moon because of the dancing <laughs> I'm doing with the news of Hawkman. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Hawkman, the comic book. Robert Venditti, the writer, is a genius. People talk about Tom King, Scott Snyder, deservedly brilliant writers, but more people should be talking about Robert Venditti, not just because of his work on Hawkman, uh, Freedom Fighters as well. Uh, people Lovely. should be talking about Adam Glass for his work on Teen Titans. These are two more great writers. And Hawkman is such a great book because, like I said, this guy's history is a nightmare. But Robert Venditti has managed to get all these disparate elements, all these contradictory, different origins and make them work. But not just for a total king of nerds like myself or Seth or anyone else who reads comic and has done their entire lives. But I've given this book to complete novices who've never even heard of Hawkman said, he looks a bit weird. What's the helmet about? What? He's got wings. Is he an angel? And they've read like the first four or five issues says, Hmm, Steve, have you got any more? If you haven't read the current series, forget anything that's gone before, however good it might be, Joe Kubert's a legend, whatever else, just pick up Robert Venditti's series. If you've got a few hours spare, download them, go out and buy the trade paperbacks, because this book is seriously one comic you can give to anybody uh, and they'll love it, because he's done the impossible and made something that makes no sense make sense and make the character fun action-packed believable tragic seth you read these for the spinner rack you know um it's a great book and hugely hugely overlooked and underrated the fact that the character's coming into the movie maybe more people will buy the comic everybody wins i'm happy yep let's do this brad what are your takes on this my friend yeah i said a few weeks ago that it's good it's a good time to be a harley quinn fan and it is a good time to be a hawkman fan and um, you know, uh, from his, you know, from that, the, the great book that's out now and to the role that he played in metal, um, he, his role in the DC universe right now is, is pretty important. So now would be a good time to bring him onto the big screen. Uh, and I think it's kind of an interesting cause he doesn't necessarily have, I mean, people know him, but he doesn't necessarily have the high profile that certain characters have so the fact that he would kind of be the black adams i guess not really a villain since black adams a villain but his foil it makes sense because then you can focus more on black adam and not necessarily on hawkman yeah if that makes if that makes sense and hopefully though this if this rumor turns out to be true it'll raise the character's profile even more and we will get a hawkman movie so I think it's I think it's a win win uh, for uh, for fans for sure. And I just realized with him, you almost get that Indiana Jones aspect that can be included to some degree. Yes. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's something about him as that archaeologist explorer. He's a bit of an adventurer. Uh, I love the description from Identity Crisis when uh, what's his name? I think it's a uh, long man's talking about how, you know, Sue Dibney could see everyone. He's like, come on. She stared at Carter Hall you know hawkman like bare-chested the whole deal (laughs) and there's something just like so like you know he's such that rough and tumble 
you know, I'm Mr. Masculine. I'm, you know, I'm shirtless more often than not. Um, I've got this giant, you know, weapon that I sling around and basically can just, you know, bludgeon people with. There's there's that physicality that's going to be interesting to contrast, you know, this sort of like rugged guy with this ability, you know, taking on a demigod. <laughs> so I love that yeah. there's sort of this I, adventure, you know, foil that you, you know, suggested as well, Brad. Yeah, and that, and that's we need good films point. like Indiana Jones, don't we? We need yeah. more action adventure, um, old-fashioned action romps. Sorry, Brad, you were saying. Oh, I, I was just going to say that not you know that you know Seth, you brought up something good, and the fact that he was like the adventure, and that like an Indiana Jones type, and that could be an interesting way to bring that character into the movie itself too. Um, there's a lot of potential, you know, why he would end up in in the middle east kind of thing so that would be that's another another little factor that could be cool for that character yeah i see a boat in a river with like jungle and you know discovering some monument to black adam teth adam and just going crazy from there that's just my little head right now and uh up next we have some more suicide squad casting news uh up first is that Nathan Fillion reportedly is joining the cast. Uh, Kelly, what do you think about this? I really enjoy Nathan Fillion. He's a really good staple for a lot of other nerd culture titles, if you will. Um, I, I remember him, I'd say, the most vividly from Firefly. But he's a great actor. I think um, whatever he'll bring to Suicide Squad as a movie will definitely pay off. And also, what a gigantic cast they have i feel like every other week i'm seeing more casting decisions is there a, like how is part of me thinks there's going to be just one huge shot of a bunch of characters or something like that because there there seems to be a massive cast for this movie right now but still i have very high hopes and i adore nathan billion so i really hope that he knocks it out of the park seth I, too, adore Nathan Fillion, and I hope that doesn't make him uncomfortable. Nathan, it's okay. It's a healthy adoration. I, I keep it at a distance. I don't need your address or where to send your flowers. <laughs> I actually already have your address, and I know what time you walk your dog. No, um, that would just be wrong. I I remember Nathan Fillion from Firefly, and he he really got me with his delivery. The way that he embraced that sort of twang and this very matter-of-fact, deadpan, dry wit was just amazing and something that I I love to see him bring to other characters. I didn't get into him as Castle, but I loved him in Dr. Horrible. Yeah, he was in Dr. Horrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I also feel that he can bring something. There's a character that we were talking about who might be in Suicide Squad, Peacemaker. And I feel like he could maybe be a fun Peacemaker, you know, play a little bit of uh, making fun of himself, delivering like, I'm the tough guy. What was that? And then, you know, just have some sort of weird, sort of complete negation of everything he was just trying to say because of that ability to be so deadpan, to be so dry. Uh, Other than that, I I think he's just a great presence. I think he's one of those people that... When you see him on screen, you know that you're going to get, I guess, in my opinion, his best work. That's the feeling I get from him. I might be speaking for others 
without meaning to or desiring to. But that's generally the sense that I get from him is that he's going to give you this character and he's going to give you this character as he feels most comfortably fleshed out in it. Steve, what was your take on this story? That everything you and Kelly just said was correct. That's my take on this story. You're both absolutely right. This dude is a geek god. Love him. He's brilliant. Like you said, delivery, timing, deadpan. But then he can flip on a dime and give you a dramatic, heartfelt um, delivery of dialogue too. The guy's just a great actor. And he disguises that as being the funny guy but obviously i couldn't watch every episode of firefly today before coming onto the show but what i did do is play back the guest appearance he made on big bang theory where he's literally just a guy having his lunch <laughs> he gets approached by a couple of nerds and literally he's in the episode for like five minutes and he kills it and he ends it up with just by pulling a face in a selfie with raj and howard yeah Anything this guy does is fine by me. And even though usually Kelly and I would be jumping up and down saying, this is no news. He's reportedly cast. What are you telling me? Is he or isn't he? I don't care. The fact that it's Nathan Fillion, I'm happy. I can live with it. Go. Whatever he's dressed up as. He can be um, anything. He can be Amethyst's lightsaber. I don't care. I want Nathan Fillion in the Suicide Squad because he's Nathan Fillion. End of story. Brad, what did you think? (laughs) Yeah, Steve, you are very right that in our little geek world, he is—he—he's up there. I mean, like people love this guy. He made an appearance at a Firefly reunion panel at New York Comic Con, and when he came on stage, the crowd went nuts. I, I think that out of all the panels I've been to, he's gotten the best reception. So I think putting him in this film is smart, and he will—he'll knock it out of the park. He has so much fun with these roles as well. I think that it's you know also another another win-win for fans and and movie in general uh and i I think that with these casting news that we're getting it seems like they are not only casting people who have a reputation in the geek world but also have comedy chops nathan fillion is also known for being pretty funny so i think overall this movie is definitely going to have a a big humor component to it. So get ready for that. (laughs) And speaking of humor and geek cred, another actor director has been reportedly cast. And he also, in my opinion, has some good comedy chops and is well-respected in the geek community. Pardon my pronunciation mistakes again. uh, Taika Waititi is also joining the cast of Suicide Squad. Uh, Kelly, what do you think about this? I actually don't, I don't know a ton about him, but if he's good, Brad, if you say that he is up to par as far as an actor goes, then I'm, again, all for it, excited about it. Although still, I will point out, this cast is huge. If the reporting cast is real, it's, I, I really hope this movie is amazing. They have such good talent behind it. And it looks like half of Hollywood is ready to follow James Gunn off a cliff. So I, I really, really hope this movie is amazing. Seth? I think he's really funny. If he's who I think he is, and if I'm correct, I believe in Thor Ragnarok, he was the uh, the prisoner who wanted to lead the rebellion, but at the same time was just so genial and polite with a bit of a New Zealand yes. accent. Yep, that was him. That was him. Yes, his comedic delivery was 
spotless. I mean, there was a moment where you were thinking to yourself, does this guy spend his mornings balancing his entire being on the head of a pin? And then only when he finds the right moment, spin off into just perfect comedy because every delivery uh, I was recently introduced to um, what we do in the shadows, which I understand he's uh, a director for. And that it just killed me. It just brought this sort of just unbelievable, you know, absurdity to it. And it also reminds me of the uh, sort of approach that you get from like a Christopher Guest, where there's just a bit of absurd ad lib. You know, you roll the cameras, you have a concept and you let actors unfold as much as possible. And I feel like that's something that with his ability to do as a director, he can also bring this great scope as an actor and introduce some of those ideas where you think to yourself, hey, Never would I have considered that direction, and I'm laughing hysterically because now that it's there, it's funny, and that probably if he's got that same degree of you know timing, there can also be those great moments of heartwarming to see what sort of role he's going to play. But uh, I'm also curious to hear more about what Steve might have to say about this. What's your take, my friend? I'm just incredibly happy that I got to say Walla Walla Washington and Take Away Titty in one podcast. <laughs> it's just fantastic. You know, not only was this guy Korg, um, arguably the funniest uh, comic book interpretation I've seen in, in decades, above and beyond even Flabby Thor, Korg rules. I uh, don't know if you guys know that Take Away Titty actually directed that movie, too. This is a seriously talented dude, comedic actor, director, whatever else. Again, even though this is a non-news story, he's reportedly cast. This is a guy with acting chops, a brilliant eye, and he's funny as hell. Because like you said, Korg just had me just dying in, in his small appearance in Endgame and in um, Thor Ragnarok. Taika, I salute you. Please come on board. Join the ever-growing army of the Suicide Squad, the sequel, not sequel, reboot, not reboot movie featuring all of Hollywood and his grandmother. I want to see it. Um, Brad, please save me from this insanity. <laughs> I loved what he's directed and I've loved his little acting roles that he's done. I, the fact that he would team up with James Gunn in any way, I'm all for it. Steve, I agree 100%. Please come aboard, please let this be a reality. Um, yeah, you definitely. I want to. I want to see. Uh, I want to see. I want to see him in this movie for sure. And that wraps up our movie news. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors and pay some bills. So uh, hold on. We'll be right back with some TV news. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the Spinner Rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books. It can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. 
Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And we're back, moving right along into the TV and streaming world. Titans 2, Season 2, got a, uh, a new trailer. Kelly, what do you think? I think it looked fantastic. Titans, again, far from what everyone was saying about it before it aired, just drove home the point that you cannot judge a show until you actually see it. And I am so hoping that Season 2 just keeps all of that good hype and all of the excellent storytelling and the cinematography and the characters just as good as season one. I absolutely love the line, we need Batman, and just how how conflicting that is. It's I, I hope we do see a lot more of that dynamic between Batman and the Robin that doesn't want to be a sidekick. And I hope we see more of the complexity between what is in a lot of ways a father-son relationship, but at the same time is very much not a father-son relationship. You know, in the sense that this is a group of younger heroes that are trying to branch out, trying to prove themselves, trying to really get good at their jobs and stand on their own two feet. But at the same time, there are some situations that they can't handle. Deathstroke being one of those situations that could be just absolutely undoable. So I'm, I'm really excited, and this new trailer looked awesome. Seth, what do you think? I'm really excited too and glad that I'm not alone. I thought this was also a great trailer. I love the element that was introduced with the idea of the place where they are when the story begins or when the trailer is uh, sort of portraying is a place that's haunted and that later it's referenced that the reason it's haunted is because of Deathstroke. So there's this backstory that we'll have a chance to learn more about and get a feel for how that's going to be told on the screen in, in this new season. Uh, I love the uh, thing you brought up, Kelly, about the relationship between um, Batman and the no longer Robin. And I like this idea of how, yes, it's it's like a father-son, but it's also also like an apprentice who at some point has been trained to a degree which the purpose of the training is for them to move beyond the master who's been teaching them. And that's never an easy transition, certainly not if one side doesn't feel that it's something that needs to happen yet. That sort of struggle is something that I think is really going to be valuable to, to experience more and to see how that's part of shaping this young man who we eventually will see as Nightwing, but we're still watching him grow into that person. And part of that responsibility or part of that growth is going to include taking charge of this team. And I love the addition of uh, the new faces. I think that the, the sort of setups for each one was really just a, a nice way of giving a snapshot, giving enough information to speed the story along and keep the narrative and that trailer going really well. Those were my immediate takes. Steve, what, what was yours? Now that's a trailer. What a trailer. Are you kidding me? Wonder Girl, Changelings, Starfire, Robin, Jason Todd, Batman. Oh, Aqualad. Seriously? I'm a kid again. 
brilliant. The action, like I said, Kelly, the cinematography, the direction, the effects. It looks like more money's been thrown at this season and last season looked great as it was. Ah, oh, I cannot wait the few weeks that are left before this show comes back. And I'm just excited because, yeah, they're throwing a lot of stuff at season two, but there's still so much more. I mean, can you imagine a season three with Kid Flash and Cyborg has to come into it? He's part of a sister show. We've established that Doom Patrol and Titans are in the same universe because Doom Patrol made their debut on Titans. Could you imagine a cyborg with a team? Booyah, baby. I'm invested. I want to watch this show. Brad, what did you think, my friend? Yes. Uh, you know, as much as I love seeing all the different characters get a little piece of the trailer in some way, I, I was blown away by the Deathstroke footage. Uh, makes me even more excited. I'm a sucker for the character, so yeah. And I was, you know, with all these rumors and and casting that came out, all these different characters that they're throwing in, I wasn't sure exactly where Deathstroke would fit into all of that. Uh, but it does seem like he's going to have a major, major part in the season. So that that makes me excited. And, you know, Kelly, I agree with I want the cinematography and the tone to be the same and everything looks like it's it's going to be. So, yeah, just yeah, absolutely. I can't wait until uh, what was it? The 6th of September, I think, is when when it hits uh, DC Universe. So, yeah, I'll definitely I'll definitely be staying up late to to uh, to watch it <laughs> that night or early morning, <laughs> whichever it may be. But for sure. Yeah, I can't wait. And more TV news. Uh, the We got a new poster for for Batwoman that's coming to the CW uh, soon. Uh, Kelly, what do you think about this poster? There's, I would say, two conflicting parts of me. On one hand, as a poster, it is gorgeous. I think it's very well done. It's simple, but it portrays enough about the character. And that is just the classic Batwoman that we're used to since the New 52 look. Ruby Rose, again, looks fantastic as the character. She looks very driven and pointed, and I think she's going to do a marvelous job going forward. Uh, the one part of me that's against it is the part that, as much as I love the cape and the way it looks, looking at the cape and going, she's going to get caught on something. There is That is a very big cape. Um, but other than that, I really enjoy the poster. Seth, what do you think? <laughs> I'm going to have to look at that cape again. We're going to have to get some official measurements. I want to get, you know, just a comparison. Is it longer than Batman's? What's the purpose? But if it's a great weapon, then that's something I would love to see as well. Because I love it when something looks like a disadvantage and then suddenly becomes that great advantage. So there's a few things that I'm I'm looking forward to. It reminds me of this one issue where uh batman is engaged in a fight and as he has he uses his cape to pull back and lets the edges fly out and on the cape that he's wearing there's like weighted tips so that it actually has more of like a slicing motion i feel like it was when he faced off against the the first sort of robin nemesis they had he was like a blind martial artist with a snake on his chest his name's totally escaping me but um king snake edmund dorrance thank you so much that's i i knew if i just sort of got enough description out there steve would pick me up thank you king snake instantaneous and i believe it was him that he he used that weapon against i feel like that was a panel like distinctly remember the fact that you know he was using the dark as a weapon and batman was using feints um and that the the weights cut 
I think near his eyes or um, anyways, that uh, that concept is something I was thinking about when you were talking about the long cape. And I thought, OK, if she's going to if it's something that feels like it's a risk she can trip on, then let's hopefully see it as something as an advantage that she uses as a strength. Those are my immediate takes and, you know, just sort of a little bit of feedback on some stuff Kelly brought up. Steve, what was your take on the poster and uh, the details that included with it? No capes, darling, no capes. Um, absolutely what Kelly said at first, but hey, listen, we all know capes are just dumb, but they look so cool. And you can't really have a bat character without a cape. So, um, hey, it could be worse. It could be a spawn cape, which is alive and wiggling around in half the size of the sky or anything drawn by Todd McFarlane. So, yeah, <laughs> it's nuts, but it could be worse. And it's Batwoman. She looks great. It's Ruby Rose. She plays the part. Again, looking forward to Titans. And then four or five weeks later, we're going to get all the Arrowverse shows back from the joy of Flash to the craziness of Legends, the, the grit and drama of Arrow, brand new Batwoman, Black Lightning. Listen, it's a great time to be a geek. And there's not enough hours in the day to watch all this cool stuff, but I'm going to give it a damn good old-fashioned british try because that's just the way i'm built brad what did you make of batwoman and her cape yeah there's <laughs> as fashion goes i like it practicality not so much <laughs> um, right but um you know i gotta hand it to the marketing team behind this because they have said so much with this character with very little and it makes it it gives it a powerful punch. Those little clips of videos that we got with her riding the motorcycle. This this poster, simple color scene that is still powerful, the red and the black. And just that one phrase, her time is now, uh, is beautifully done. You know, and I think that that her time is now may be a little prophetic, especially that in, you know, pretty soon we're going to be losing Arrow. In that vacuum, I, I think that, Batwoman, if the first season is well done, she could do a lot of that heavy lifting in the Arrowverse and uh, and become a become a big hit. So that's 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 my take on that. (laughs) And and moving on, we got to see designs for what could have been the Floronic Man in the now canceled Swamp Thing series. Kelly, what do you think about this? I'm still so sad about Swamp Thing. I it was so well done, and I feel like there was so much heart in the show, and this character design is a perfect example of just how much effort and thought and talent was was used to create this show. There's there's so much of me that really hopes they bring it back, um, you know, that we find a way to still see Swamp Thing and still get to see some of these, you know, at this point, wasted dreams come to fruition. Yeah, I... It's bumming me out, honestly. It looks amazing, but I am thoroughly bummed. Seth, how about you? Well, the only thing that can redeem a bumming out, a true and utter bumming out, a a, a literal harshing of the mellow, is is sort of the the knowledge that this is, without any other context, really beautiful art. I mean, just breathtaking which is why I had to pause and catch my breath again. Breathtaking art. It's really quite gorgeous. And I was lucky enough to just recently, because, you know, we've got Brad and Steve here who have steered me into Justice League Dark. In the annual, saw uh, just 
two different versions of this idea of the Floronic Man. And it was it was really amazing to consider just what that would have like looked like on screen. And then right after reading it, to have this story and see these images and go, ooh, that would have looked absolutely gorgeous. That's probably the one thing that I can sort of cling to is how no matter what was happening with this, they were making a work of art. And it's it's always a sad sort of case with a lot of beautiful art when it doesn't get recognized in a way that would have given its timeliness the, the most impact. But I'm not going to take away from the fact that this is gorgeous art. And uh, boy, g- give me a chance and I'll find room for it in my place somewhere. I'll, I'll give it a home if, if, it, if it ever needs a home. And also... <laughs> I feel like this fractured FX needs to get a lot more press for the work that they did on this project, because while this didn't get a chance to see its time on screen, it's getting a chance to get some exposure. And along with that should come the recognition of what I think is fine. I mean, exquisite craftsmanship. So, Steve, I actually believe you and Brad, with your knowledge combined with Kelly's about Swamp Thing and Floronic Man, how much more you can add to this discussion, please uh, enlighten us with your perspective. I have an inquisitive mind. I'm looking forward to the knowledge. It's like you both said that the, the 30 seconds we got of the Pharaonic Man in the post credit scene in the final episode of something didn't do this artwork justice. While you look terrifying and brilliant, the scene of, of him being like a an autumn fall decayed would creature as opposed to the bright sharp green of spring of swamp thing is just that amazing contrast and you only see him just literally emerge from the darkness in the few shots he's in in, in the show this is great art yes yeah, seth i'd fight you for that I, I want that on my wall and and alongside all of all of Kemi, kelly's comic wall of fame it's just beautiful to look at and uh kelly did, did you really say um heart because he becomes Floronic Man by eating Swamp Thing's heart in the show <laughs> I, I thought that was a really clever clever little touch there so um, on <laughs> it's great because uh, oh, it's so good and it makes me wish for more and I'm not going to give up hope we got Serenity um, we got two more seasons of Lucifer out of Netflix Please, Warner, DC, listen to your fans, listen to the, the, the critics of which I'm one. I wrote reviews on my own website for the Swamp Thing show and how amazingly good it was and how beautifully adapted the source material, which Brad and I are huge fans of, and which has led to um, Justice League Dark, which is currently taking over all of DC Comics news because we want the world to read this, don't we, Brad? What do you make <laughs> yeah. of uh, the Floronic Man? Yeah, Steve, I got to thank you for turning me on to uh, to Justice League Dark and and Seth, you brought up that annual and reading the story and seeing these designs. I, I went back to that annual thinking, yeah, I mean, it's such a great character and we're missing out on so much by having it not continue. And and Kelly, you're absolutely right that there was so much love and detail put into the show. I find it hard to believe that there's not at least a few people at Warner Brothers, at DC Universe, 
thinking that there's got to be a way to resurrect the show somehow. Fans seem to be upset and, you know, you bringing up Serenity and, you know, maybe there's a way that we can have a movie. There's been rumors of that. And if there is a movie, they've got to use this design. Uh, And uh, yeah, it's just such a bummer that we possibly won't get to see this come to fruition other than a great design. And moving along, uh, we got news that the CW's Flash, Arrow, and Supergirl are getting audiobook series. So, uh, Kelly, what do you think? That is, it's a very interesting direction to go. Just audiobooks as a whole. I know I personally do not listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I know a lot of people who are very into them because you can listen to it in the car, you can listen to it when you're jogging or going about your day, doing all of the normal, overly hectic things that all of us do. And that it's not going to be canonical stories, but something, I guess, based off of the Arrowverse, but not exactly set in what we're seeing on TV. It's an interesting choice, but it's more DC heroes in more places, so I am happy about it. Seth? Now, who doesn't want more DC heroes in more places? I dare them to speak up. Oh, wait, this is a closed recording. Good luck. Go ahead and just tag us. <laughs> Give you the ways how. However, I think this is a really smart move. I don't embrace audiobooks the same way. I, I like to read at a pace that I set when I read, but I do know that their popularity has increased with programs like Audible and others. And I also know that my wife is a big fan because she sometimes will make a journey out to ranches, do some horseback riding. And generally, these places are somewhat far removed from the city confines of Oakland, which means that there's a long drive involved. And one of her favorite ways to get through is either podcasts or audiobooks. So there's a market available here. And I think the CW model, however it chooses to present the universe that it's presented on TV through the Arrowverse, However, it chooses to use that approach or, you know, move away from it for these audiobooks, they do have a really successful formula. And if it's one that they can translate with the same sort of production quality to audiobooks, I see this as a complete win win. And I love the idea of the eight episode Flash series, which is that Lex Luthor changes the past to make Flash, Green Arrow, and Supergirl villains. It can only lead to. I think more fun for the Supergirl story and whatever villain episodes go along with that. But there's always everyone's different perspective when it comes to these audiobooks. Steve, what's yours, my friend? Very similar to yours, actually, Seth. Um, thanks for that. It, it's exactly the same where I'm a reader and I want to read a book the way I want to read it when I want to read it. But not everyone's got that luxury. Like, I get the train to work so I can read to my heart's content. My wife, there are no trains. She has to get on a bus. And reading on a bus, as most of you will probably agree, is a no-no. So she devours audiobooks. She's got them downloaded. She uses Audible. And it's a great way forward. And like you said, more DC Comics characters in our life in another format, another medium. Bring it on. People are going to listen to it. People who watch the shows, who are invested in the characters. Uh, The fact that they've got brand new stories that you don't have to be totally invested in the series to to listen to. They're all standalone stories too. Great idea. Brilliant marketing. Uh, A new way of telling great stories with great DC Comics characters. It's it's win-win. Nobody loses with this. So absolutely great idea. What about you, Brad? What do you think of it? I am a fan of anything that gets people 
people interacting with literature, whether it's audiobooks, actually reading, anything, I'm for it. And it makes me optimistic the fact that there is enough of a market for audiobooks that people like them enough that they found that this could be a profitable venture going into these audiobooks. So that means that it's a very healthy medium, which which I like. Um, I have a I have an audio an audible subscription that I that I do enjoy. Although I gotta say, Steve, I can read on the bus pretty well. Uh, I've always been able to read in cars, so I guess. Uh, but I oh, would, I get bad motion sickness in cars. Yeah, you know, most people do. That's my wife. Yeah, that's really here nor there. But um, yeah, <laughs> I I'd be curious to check these out for sure. I think it's, uh, yeah, like you said, more DC Comics characters in more places. What could be wrong with that? So I think that that's a great thing. And with that, we are going to pay some bills again and take another break for some ads. And we will be back with some comics news uh, real quick. So take a listen and we'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, and we're moving on to comics news. Uh, up first, uh, we got word that, and once again, pardon my pronunciation. You can correct me if uh, if I'm saying this wrong. Uh, Stephen Sedgwick wants to re-envision Poison Ivy's origin after Harleen. Uh, Kelly, what do you think about this? I think if if he can get that signed off on, then I good good for him. I really enjoyed the and i haven't read harleen um but i enjoyed the concept and kind of that twisting what we already know about harley and the joker's origins on its head um and bringing it forward in a way that's a little different a little bit strange but i would say more rooted in from what it sounded like more rooted in human emotion and kind of this personal drama and poison ivy has a fantastic story very interesting villain very I would say understandable in the way that Mr. Freeze is understandable because, you know, you see his wife and his background and you get why he's doing what he's doing. Poison Ivy is one of those villains that, yes, technically she's a villain, but what she's fighting for isn't an evil thing to fight for. So to see that turned on its head and to see that through a more hyper-focused human scope would be very interesting. Seth, how about you? I agree. That would be extremely interesting, mostly because I feel like the idealistic nature of Poison Ivy's mission is something that is it's one of those things where if you have this belief and you add a mission to it, you can sort of shape the discussion based around that. And when the consequences can be as potentially dire as the you know survival of organic life then you have a very compelling argument for what lengths or to what lengths an idealist will take that. And while Poison Ivy has gone outside of the law to pursue her mission, I think it's one that a lot of people can get behind. And with the the right story, I think this would be a, a really compelling follow-up to Harleen. How about you, Steve? I think Kelly's trying to steal my crown of uh, royal punster of the gang with saying that the it's poison ivy's rooted. I mean, stop it! Oh God! Those are my lines. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, I just wouldn't believe well. it. I just wouldn't <laughs> believe it. I need to branch out in a different direction now. Just leaf it out, Kelly, please. Do it accidentally, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, and. 
how gorgeous is this guy's art? He's so talented. I'm going to be picking up Harleen as soon as it comes out. And it's only three issues, literally just for the art. I haven't read anything he's written before, but his art's stunning. And if they let him loose on uh, Poison Ivy as well, and but that look of sample art he put forward to, the Swamp Thing's going to be involved as well because uh, they, they've got close ties, those two characters. They're, they're, their vines are intertwined, you may say. Um, then yeah i i want to read it he's a great talent and seeing different takes different looks of these brilliant brilliant characters especially when they're portrayed that beautifully yeah give the guy a chance i hope harleen's a big success for him and that they give him a chance with a, a poison ivy as well what about you brad the one thing that i love about dc comics uh, in general, is how they let different writers and artists play with the characters. Uh, and this is a perfect example of that. I haven't read Harleen yet either, uh, but I am looking forward to that. Uh, and from what I've seen so far of it, I'm going to like it a lot. And if I like it as much as I think I am, then I will, would definitely like to see him do a take on Poison Ivy. Uh, and, and you guys gave great insight to the character and why that would be such a great thing. So... Yeah, I, I hope that at the end of the day, I hope he does get to do it. But, uh, uh, you know, if, like I said, if I like Harleen as much as I think I'm going to, then I would love this book as well. And moving right along, uh, Mark Guggenheim, got word, is working on a secret DC comic book. Kelly, what do you think about this? I Secret DC comic book sounds so cool. And it's it's great that he is both an executive producer on another DC property and has a background in comics, you know, the, the actual comic books, not just comic book culture as a whole. Um, so yeah, there, there's not a ton to go on with it just being a secret project that tells us essentially nothing, but I won't call it non-news because it is an actual announcement. Um, so yeah, I am very interested to see what this secret project is. Seth? I love a good secret, and I don't mind a really artful tease, like I feel this article is. It's just enough to say, I'm working on something that I really want to tell you about, and it hurts me not telling you as much as it hurts you not knowing. That's really all I need to hear from a creator to know how much they want me to be excited for something that they know I'll be excited for once I actually get the details. His proven success, really, on television and being able to move between mediums and maintain that success only tells me that we're in for something that could be really fun. I hope it's a chance to see character who hasn't received as much limelight get the chance to shine in something like this. But whatever direction it is, I love that it starts with a secret. How about you, Steve? Totally in agreement. I mean, part of the reason I think the Arrowverse shows work so well is having Mark Guggenheim as an executive producer when he's come from a comics background. I mean, he's written Aquaman, Just Society, Flash, amongst others for DC. So he's got a perfect background and knowledge of these characters. And like I say, I'm hoping it's someone a little less well-known. They can bring someone out of the shadows and back into the limelight again. That'll be lovely. But more than anything, I'm just so happy that he got out of his cell at Arkham Asylum, because if you guys watched the Elseworlds crossover, one of the cells in Arkham said M. Guggenheim. So the <laughs> fact he's out of the padded cell and he's rejoined society just makes me happy for him. 
you go mark brad what did you think yeah i think you guys hit on what i was going to talk about and just the fact that i hope it's a character that can be brought back into the limelight i would like uh, i'd like to see that and you know beyond that it's kind of hard because it's all speculation um so at this point i couldn't even tell you a character who i would want it to be i would just hope it would be one of those characters that kind of needs to be uh, brought out into the limelight more but yeah i mean I, i'm curious about any more news on this secret comic book so uh you know well like i say stay tuned i'm sure we'll be talking about it again in uh in the weeks to come also we've got news that scott eaton is going to be joining uh wonder woman issue 79 kelly what do you think about this i i think it's good news for him i am a little bit worried about because i know there have been a lot of art changes in the recent Wonder Woman books. So I'm hoping that this isn't an indication of anything crazy going on behind the scenes. Um, and I think we've mentioned before just how stunning the art in Wonder Woman has been, especially those covers are just gorgeous. So I'm really hoping this isn't any sort of setback or artist creative conflict, anything like that. But just, you know, if they're bringing in guest talent or additional talent to make up for when someone else has to be out then i you know good more power to them that's good for them but i i am a little concerned with all of the changes that have been announced for wonder woman recently yeah i I hope this doesn't turn into another delay situation where we're seeing pushed back two weeks eight weeks six years um seth how about you no, not six years to finish what I think is a really amazing Wonder Woman story. That would be heartbreaking uh, on top of what has already been a series of heartbreaks regarding titles that we love. I've really enjoyed this Wonder Woman story. And while I am in agreement with the concern so far, I've been fairly impressed that even with the shakeup, I don't feel that there's been any change in the quality. I'm hoping that's something that's consistent I am struggling to remember because I feel like we just did an article or just did a uh, a podcast that was talking about Wilson stepping away for a little bit as well. Um, and if anyone can help me remember that correctly or, or chime in at some point, please do. When it when it comes to that sort of like shuffling around of everyone, I also have to wonder how much of this is in maybe in response to some of those other cancellations we've had. If there hasn't been a need to spread out some of the talent and some of the work and that that might be creating some issues behind the scenes that we're seeing these shufflings of talents uh, as far as their names and their their work on different titles. But I, I am intrigued to see what this new edition means. And I'm also just really curious to see how it folds into what I felt has been a really great Wonder Woman story currently. And uh, as long as it's a positive addition, well, then that's the really the definition of uh, a great production when you can seamlessly bring in someone else and kind of like that great line from uh, Fight Club. It's called a cigarette burn. It's a changeover. The movie keeps going and the audience has no clue. And if they can do it smoothly like that and we just go, oh, what? Hey, it's still great. Then I'm going to be just fine with it steve what's your take my friend very similar to both what you and kelly were saying really scott eaton's a really cool artist and i'm very very glad he's getting more work especially on a top end title like wonder woman but 
again, there's been such a change around of artists being moved and swapped around and on different books and different titles. And one of my bugbears, one of the things that really annoys me is changing an artist's mid-story because um, sometimes you get a complete clash of art styles and a lot of people might read through it and, and not even notice or not really care. But um, being from an, an art background myself, um, I, I can really feel it. And when it's mid-storyline, sometimes it's annoying. But like I said, Scott Eaton's one of those... How can I put it? He's like a classic comics artist. He's one guy who can adapt style and change style so it can feel as part of the ongoing narrative. And then once he's unsettled, he can then break loose and, and draw like himself and and really put his own stamp and identity into it. So great news for him. Slightly concerned, just like Kelly was saying about this constant shakeup and movement. But um, Wonder Woman's a great book. I don't think that one's in any trouble whatsoever. And if they keep it on schedule and they have to shake up the art teams to do it, I'd rather have that than wait 10,000 years between issues. Rad, what do you make of it, my friend? Yeah, I think that if this is a necessary evil to keep it on schedule instead of dealing with all these delays, I think that, um, A, I like his work, and B, Wonder Woman's too much of an important book to let just falter in all these delays uh so you know as long as it keeps on schedule and the quality doesn't go down and it's not a jarring difference i think that uh, i think that it's a necessary evil and um and like seth i'm liking the story too so uh it's one of those things that unfortunately we have to put up with but i do like his work so you know um that's that's good as well and up next another story of delays uh high level number six is being pushed back five weeks kelly what do you think about this i would be more nervous except at least this has more of an explanation for why this change is happening um uh, they said that they, the artists need more time to work on the issue and make sure that it's perfect for where the story's going. So in that case, I think that is the best and one of the only reasons to really delay a story that um, readers and fans are enjoying. So I, I, I'm i nervous as a whole that this seems to be a pattern, but there's a reason given, it's a good reason. So I, I think I'll leave this one alone. Seth? I completely respect any time an artist says, I've got it and I can get it right just give me a little more time because I know that usually when you do that, you're rewarded with that degree of excellence that they're able to bring about with just that little bit of additional time. I am a little worried about high level because it's already had, as it mentions in this article, two previous reschedulings. And also because I feel like high level was at a point where it was really telling one of the more compelling and climactic moments in its story. And that that's something that can be hard to sustain over a long period of delays. If they can follow through in a way that sort of recovers from that, then, then I really feel like this is a title that can recover as well and still show the success it was up until now. But I also feel that when you're dealing with content like this, 
anytime there's a break and a delay, that momentum that we've talked about with these other titles that we've talked about when there's been stories about delay is really hard to get back. And my only concern is that this is just another, well, we thought it was going to be that long. Now it's going to be longer because we've been through that recently, very recently. In fact, I'd say we're still going through it. Steve, what's your take? We all know that this is one of my, um, least liked topics because it, it's upsetting uh for fans for readers for for anyone especially someone who's invested in the story and um thanks to you seth I, i'm reading stuff like jimmy olson and lois lane on your recommendation on the spinner rack and um because of that so's high level so in a way i'm kind of glad that this be the chance to read the first five issues before the next one comes out but like you both said that momentum loss that uh possible lack of interest now and saying God, I delayed again let me read something else uh, and that's upsetting but again like Kelly said at least this time we know why with Shazam we've just been told late 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 or now you can't even pre-order it at all which will come to a little later in the show at least as I'm saying this I know the artist wants to dot the i's cross the t's and deliver the best book he can deliver hey i can live with that i've waited four months for doomsday clock 11 which i've now read twice and written my review of immediately because it was damn well worth the wait so disappointing but silver lining and i do see this one coming out at the end of the month on time and that'll give me a chance to read the first five issues i'm going to be glasses half full on this one what about you brad yeah, personally, I, I, I'm with you, Stephen, that I'm a few issues behind. So at the very least, this gives me time to catch up. <laughs> so in a way, I'm kind of happy about that. Uh, you know, I've mentioned that I'm more of a gamer than most people on this podcast. Um, and as a gamer, you get used to releases being delayed and pushed back in the name of quality. And generally, when that happens to a game, the quality does improve. Uh, so because they, this does have a reason, and it is the art, and I think it's good, it's worth the wait if the art's going to be that much better. And like Kelly was saying, at least, at least we have a reason as to why. And that can just put all the speculation and bad rumors to rest and just know that the art's being approved, and it will be worth the wait. And with that, we'll move on to our next story. We finally are figuring out who the final two Secret Six infected heroes will be. And Kelly, what do you think about this? This is one of those things that I have been, I would say, not freaking out about, but kind of over-speculating since we initially got... Um, you know, an, an announcement that there would be evil heroes showing up. I've been low-key freaking out about since it started. Um, and I think I was hoping for Wonder Woman in a, an, a, a roundabout sense, but I will settle for Donna Troy. Um, Jim Gordon kind of breaks my heart, though. That is a little bit difficult for me to accept. I, I just like him so much. He is so of a character in the DC universe as a whole and he's someone who has a grasp on right and wrong despite the fact that it, technically he is supposed to be against vigilantes. He understands what's best for his city and what's best for 
you know, for the people of Gotham without necessarily having to adhere to the laws that he's supposed to uphold, which sounds like a villainous thing, yes, and you could see how he goes in the direct that how he could go in that direction, but I personally have always liked that he didn't go in that direction. So I'm a little upset about that one. Seth? I love this announcement. One, I'm intrigued with the idea of Donna Troy. I think that she's one of those characters who I I want back in all the best ways. And this is going to be a fun way to uh, engage with her, this dark version. And with the Jim Gordon, I'm glad that it's kind of more public now because there was a period where I felt like it was something that was still uh, a secret unless you had read certain issues. And it was something that was revealed at the end of, of one title recently. And when it was, I thought, all right, how long before we all get to talk about this openly? Because it's probably one of the more important ideas, because I think, Kelly, you really touched on something, which was how heartbreaking it is that he's generally seen as like that good man in the midst of uh, a crazed city and constantly beset upon by maniacal figures. And his only sort of reliable hope is a man who dresses up like a bat and somehow disappears without him knowing, has detective skills that far supersede any detective that he's ever worked with. And in so many ways has been the rock. But I also love this idea because I remember, I think it was something I read not long after they had had uh, Infinite Crisis. And there had been a suggestion of killing off Nightwing and what that would have meant to the DC universe and how that could have changed so much if it had actually occurred. And then the decision was made not to. But how there was a recognition that there are certain non-powered characters in the DCU that you just don't mess with. And when you do, the ramifications are unbelievable. I mean, we're still trying to get Ralph and Sue Dibney to recover from what happened in Identity Crisis. So uh, I think that there's this great emotional understanding by linking this event to someone who has such a connection to so many of us and for all the sort of normalness that he represents. And Jim Gordon really is going to be one of those heartstones in this this story. Steve, what's your take, my friend? Yeah, both of you totally hit the nail on the head. Um, Both these characters, both Donna and Jim, are like the backbones and support system for so many other characters in the DC universe. And yeah, the Jim Gordon reveal was actually the first one. He was the first of the Secret Six. But I thought, oh, maybe as he's not a superhero, that's why they kept it on the download, because that was revealed with the last pages of uh, the Batman Who Laughs seven-issue miniseries. And you saw that he'd been infected by the Joker toxin, even though Batman had actually cleared his own system of it. So I thought, Jim, really? But then it went straight into Batman Superman number one and Jim's interacting as normal with Superman, with Batman. I thought, oh, I don't know, what, what, what's going on here? Is then, is he okay? Is he fine? But there's that sneaky little peek. If you read Batman Superman number one again, when Superman and Batman take off, Jim Gordon's on the roof looking after him and he just goes, eh. and that was dark. Because really? this is, yeah, really clever. Because this is the guy who... Batman will never suspect, ever. This is his best friend and the man on the inside of the police department who's cutting corners and helping him do his job just the way he's helping Jim 
catch crooks and keep Gotham as safe as they can. But he's now on the dark side. And that, to me, is terrifying. Probably we all talked about Wonder Woman, Shazam and all these cosmic mega powered heroes being turned to the Secret Six and being infected by the Joker toxin. But to me, someone like Jim Gordon could actually be more terrifying because of that whole trust thing. This is the one guy who is solid, dependable, will never let you down. But, uh uh-oh, this is one contingency I don't think even Batman would have planned for because, hey, he's just an ordinary guy. Yeah, this is an ordinary guy that runs the GCPD, uh, is respected by governments and officials and, and, and whatever else, and that could really, really be like a game changer. And same with Donna Troy. Uh, her connection to the mascara, to Wonder Woman, to the Justice League, the Titans. Brilliant storytelling, really clever, out of left field. And the fact that it was actually revealed and no one quite picked up on it was genius. I love that. Uh, Brad, what did you make, my friend? Yes, you said a very uh, accurate word, clever. A very good choice. Uh, because Jim Gordon, not only is he in a lot of ways the moral center of the Batman world, even more so than Bruce Wayne or Batman, he is also kind of like a reader's window into the whole stories in a way, because he's the most relatable character. Most readers don't know what it's like to be a billionaire playboy whose parents were killed, became a superhero. They can't relate to that, but they can relate to the every guy trying to do the right thing every day to the best of his ability. And to twist that around to the dark side, I think that that is a genius choice with a lot of possibilities for some interesting storytelling. And yes, it did. I I agree with Kelly that it kind of breaks your heart a little bit because everybody loves Jim Gordon. But uh, it's definitely a powerful choice in terms of storytelling, for sure. Absolutely. And we'll move on to our final story of the podcast which is unfortunately, yet again, a tale of Shazam getting delayed, this time indefinitely. Kelly, what do you think about this? The only thing I can say I hope for is that the the reason they're saying indefinitely, they're not giving an actual date, is because they know that everyone is a little bit tired of hearing another couple of weeks, another couple of weeks, saying, not giving an actual line and just saying it's delayed will save us that weekly heartbreak but this is still terrible news yeah that's it's it's just a gut punch they had so much momentum and shazam did so well as a movie and then to translate into the comics and be a really great book is it's a tough transition to pull off for a lot of heroes um and i think that they did a fantastic job with shazam so to know that we may not necessarily see it again is a little difficult it's it's hard to take but we can just hope that it's they've gotten tired of having to post delay 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 so now it's we will let you know when we're coming back Seth I think there is a comfort in that we can all just stop waiting for the possibility that maybe the next reschedule will be to paraphrase quantum leap the leap that brings us Shazam and yet Unfortunately, there's also this recognition that they're no longer trying to meet those always extended goals, that there's a recognition that 
that's no longer a viable option, not only for the creative team, but for the fans who rightfully so have kind of had enough and deserve a break. I I think I'm only going to take solace in the fact that this should take some pressure off of the creative team as a whole and maybe allow them to sort of make a decision about how they want to either proceed or tie things up. And maybe there's a chance that a trade collection will include all of the unreleased issues that were part of this story and we can collect it in that way. But I'm not sure that Shazam is going to pick up where it left off anytime soon. And if it does, it's it's going to have to do something completely different than what it originally planned. And in light of that, this might be a time to just close up shop for now, do a relaunch, or think about the best way to go forward both creatively and out of respect for the fans. Because the, the cliffhanger we're left with right now is one that, well... It sort of lost its its sense of um, oh what's the word I'm looking for importance. <laughs> I mean basically we've been hanging off this cliff by our fingertips for about six months now, and it's gotten to the point that we figure the guy's probably fallen. Just you know you can't just hang on for that long. But the future is still unwritten, and I can always take a bit of comfort in unknown possibilities. Steve, how do you take this news and what could come next it is heartbreaking but i agree with the fact that at least now they're saying indefinite they're not going to keep week after week after week after week slapping this around the face saying suffer 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 readers you're going to wait some more um but it also adds fuel to the fire of why just give us a reason the high level got two delay notifications and they finally told us well yeah the artist needed some breathing time with Shazam, we have no clue. Absolutely no idea the reason why it's been delayed for so long. And if it was a less important book with a less mainstream character, maybe we wouldn't care so much. But Kelly, Seth, Brad, all four of us, we've talked so often about how this is a book that DC should be investing in. Because of the movie, because of the sequel, because of Black Adam, they should really have a contingency plan. In effect, even if it's just a couple of months of filling stories, telling some other background stuff that they can then tie into the ongoing story when the regular creative team come back. The fact that it's gone months and months and months with nothing is just not right. I remember back in the day, if an issue was late, they'd do a reprint. Um, They'd still have the book come out every month. What's happened to comics now where there is no backup, no contingency? That worries me, especially with a character like Shazam. This isn't um, the adventures of of Purple Dog and his cat Misty. This is Shazam. This is the original (laughs) Captain Marvel. This is a guy who's been around for 80-odd years. Um, I just don't get it. Um, Hey... I'm just tired of talking about it and it upsets me because I love comics and I feel for the fans who will clearly just give up. Brad, what what do you make of this, my friend? Yeah, I think that that at this point they didn't have a choice. I think that they could not come back and say, oh, it's delayed another such and such many numbers of weeks. I think that they had to say indefinitely. But the more this goes on, the more my glass gets half empty. 
with this because if they're not saying why, then I keep thinking that that reason must be pretty bad. And I hope that's not the case. And, you know, I do hope that we do get to see this series played out to the end, whether it's in issues or as a trade. Uh, you know, I've liked what I've read so far. Uh, I, I just hope, you know, I, I, that the news isn't really, really bad as to the true reasons why it's been delayed so long. And the fact that they aren't saying anything doesn't doesn't ease my mind when it comes to that at all. And that's maybe it's one of those times where no news is good news, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean that could be too. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess uh, I guess we'll see. I guess we will see. And with that, that wraps up another uh, episode of the DC Comics News podcast. Uh, so uh, let's see, Kelly. Where can people find you on the web and in the world? Uh, you can find my editorial pieces on DC Comics News, and you can follow me on Twitter at KelGainsWrite. Okay, and Seth, where can people find you? Uh, you can also find me writing reviews for DC Comics News, and if you type my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story, you'll find some other ways to find me, and when you do, send me a message, so I know that that's the best way you and I can communicate. And Steve, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter, L underscore Stevo, E-L underscore S-T-E-E-V-O. Or, or again, just do a Google search for Steve J. Rain. You'll get links there to all my reviews, news and interviews on both DC Comics News and our sister website, the Dark Knight News website, where um, everything's a little bit more Batman, which is strange because I've never even heard of this character before. Um, but that, that's where you'll find me. How about you, Brad? Well, you can find me uh, writing news and reviews at DC Comics News. You can follow me on Twitter at bflicky1. That's uh, B-F-I-L-I-C-K-Y and the number one. And that's that's where I am. And DC Comics News is now on all the major podcast platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So you can head over and subscribe and uh, rate and review. Let us know what you think. And you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube at DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. And be sure to check out the Spinner Rack uh, right here on the DC Comics News Podcast Network. Thank you for listening, and as always, read more comics. Thanks, and have a good week.